seen this year, a very happy new year to you, and delighted you've joined us today. I am Adrian, I'm on the staff team here at Renewal. Maybe as we begin, let's pray together. Father, I pray you would open our mind to hear what you have to say to us. I pray you would open our ears to hear your voice. You would open our eyes to see you at work. And you'd open our mouth that we would know and taste and see that you are good. Amen. Amen. I'm continuing our series we began last week called Life Support. And Chris began the series last week uh, speaking about radical discipleship. And if you weren't around, I just encourage you to check that out on YouTube if you missed it. And I've called today's talk Dead man walking, or radical followership. And for the, the lovers of trivia, Dead Man Walking, the title I've stolen, it's from a, a 1995 death row film sh uh, showing, starring Sean Penn, if any of you can remember back that far. For those lovers of trivia, Sean Penn was uh, married to Madonna, which is uh, an interesting bit of trivia, but has no relevance at all to what's going on today. So this phrase, dead man walking, was, was popularised in the film to mean anyone facing an impending or unavoidable loss. That's a dead man walking. And you know, if I'm honest, when I look at the church, sometimes it seems as if it's in a bit of a coma. Um, it's kind of on life support. And I wonder why that's happened. And I think one of the reasons amongst many that it's happened is because often I think we've got such low expectations of the transforming power of the gospel or the call of Jesus. And I think, sadly, sometimes we tell people that becoming a Christian is to allow them to live their best life now. And we kind of skip the fact that being a Christian means that we'll become a dead man walking. What on earth do I mean? All become clear. Let's read Jesus' words in Luke chapter 8 from verse 34. Then he called the crowd to him, along with his disciples, and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Wow, these are heavy words. This is heavy stuff. And if you wanted a kind of a pick-me-up, cheer-me-up, happy message today, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Come back next week. 
Over the, the break, I, I watched, or, or to be fair, I binge-watched uh, a series called SAS, Who Dares Wins? And it's a, about a group of civilians who go through a simulation of the physical and emotional and psychological training that's required to join the elite SAS. And it's brutal, brutal in every way. It is as hard as it gets. And at one point, the, the training instructor gathers the recruits for, a, for another physical beating, and he introduces it with these charming words, Welcome to the slaughterhouse, little lambs. And I was sorely tempted to use that as my opening line today because I got a fairly dark sense of humour, but I didn't have the nerve. <laughs> Faith is ultimately about followership. And Jesus said that the primary mark of disciples is to obey him. And we often think about being a disciple is about believing the right stuff. And strangely, that didn't seem to matter as much to Jesus, because when he gathered disciples, he just said, come, follow me. He didn't say, if you believe this, you're good to go. He was more interested in people's followership. Faith is about brave, obedient followership. I wonder how brave we've been this week. And I think one of the ways the devil has in, uh, kind of introduced this kind of slightly comatose state in the church is by convincing us that all that we need to do is believe. And Jesus says, come, follow me. I think ultimately Christianity requires the submission of our will to the lordship of Christ. Jesus calls his followers not to comfort and convenience, but to deny themselves, to take up their cross and follow him. And Jesus calls us not to an individual spirituality, but to an accountable community. Jesus never conceived of a, a faith that was lived out in isolation. And Jesus often, in his dealings with others, got straight to the point. And this passage we've just read is no exception. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Discipleship equals self-denial and cross-bearing. So we are welcome to the slaughterhouse, little lambs. So where I'm going with this talk today, we're going to look at three things. What is self-denial? How do we do it? And why should we bother? And maybe your image of self-denial is a little bit like this. Slightly faint. But what did Jesus mean by deny himself? What did the ultimate cross-bearer mean by taking up your cross? And why did Jesus use such a harsh 
metaphor when he described discipleship. I think we we vaguely understand self-denial and cross-bearing to mean that discipleship's probably difficult. And sometimes we think, well, let's leave that to the holy people. Let's leave denying themselves to a staff team. Let's leave it to Chris. As for me, cross-bearing, I'll give it a pass. The Greek word translated to deny means this, the intentional dissociation from relationship with a particular person. We might think of it as meaning to disown or to renounce. Now, this is the word that uh, Jesus used when Peter denied Jesus. He disassociated himself from Jesus. I don't know that man. That's denial. Peter denies that he knows Jesus or has any association with him. So I think self-denial then is intentional disowning of the self or choosing to stop allowing relationship with self to be our main obsession. And of course, if we think that we can follow Jesus and avoid self-denial, then we are profoundly deluded. It's a package deal. Our own selfish will needs to die. In 2006, I I returned to the UK after having had four years here in Kenya. And I've been the the deputy head here up at St Andrews Turi. And I moved to Cheltenham in the the UK. And it was the first time, probably since we've been in school, where I was living close to my family. And that was great. It was so good. I had a job which invigorated me in a school I enjoyed. I had just enough responsibility to amuse me. Um, It felt good. But Turi were looking for a new head, and the existing head, the then existing head, was keen for me to return. And I was not keen. I was near family, had a job I enjoyed. I did not want to be a head teacher. But God wanted me back here, and I had a three-month period of what I can only describe as harassment by the Holy Spirit, where (laughs) I just knew it was what God wanted. Uh, And so I felt hounded and harassed by the Spirit of God. Coming back here cost, it hurt. I had to deny myself. And what made things worse was that three months after I returned here to to Kenya, my mum was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And I was 6,000 kilometres away from her. And I was leading a school up in Molo area, going through post-election violence. And it was hard. So while my mum was wrestling with cancer, I was wrestling with feeling utterly ill-equipped to do the job which I felt God had called me to. Following Jesus costs, 
We have to deny ourselves. Coming back felt so wrong in many ways, but so right in other ways. And there are many, many others whom the reality of self-denial is far more profound than mine. If anyone would come after me, they must deny themselves. Welcome to the slaughterhouse, Lord Hams. But what about this idea of taking up our cross? It's such a strange metaphor. But it's become popularised in, in modern language, and so we sometimes lose its impact. If I said to you, go and take up your noose and follow me, you'd find that strange. But you might get a sense of the kind of impact Jesus had when he said this to his listeners. You know, in some ways, it just sounds like Jesus is appealing to his people to join some kind of odd suicide pact. Take up your cross. And of course, Jesus made this statement about taking up his cross before he was crucified. And crucifixion in those times was reserved for people who specifically had rebelled against authority. To take up one's cross in those days referred to the practice of forcing a condemned man to carry the beam of the cross to the execution site. And of course, this showed that although that person rebelled against authority, the condemned man was now so completely conquered that his last act in life would be to carry the instrument of his demise to the place of his death. It was a mark of complete and utter submission. So a call to take up our cross, to bear one's cross, then is a call to be submitted to Christ, just as in the same way the condemned man was to his own death. Taking up our cross is a call to be that dead man walking. When Jesus calls us for self-denial and bearing our cross, he's claiming full, final, complete, exclusive authority. Following Christ means disowning the self. And of course, this is not a one-off thing. It's a periodic practice. Now, we are occasionally called to take up our cross. It's a daily practice. The author and speaker Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this. When God calls a man, he bids him to come and die. Wow. And the Scottish evangelist Henry Drummond wrote this. The entrance fee into the kingdom of heaven is nothing. The annual subscription is everything. Wow. And I think radical followership means that we become those dead men walking. Self dies. And the Apostle Paul explains this in different language, which I think is helpful. 
In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, Paul writes this. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I have been crucified with Christ. I am a dead man walking. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. But there's a little bit of good news in this challenging talk. We cannot crucify ourselves. I wonder if any of you tried crucifying yourself recently. In this age of self-harm, all things are possible, but I think this is unlikely. We need to be crucified. It happens because of what Jesus has done. You know, we don't have it in ourselves to learn how we can deny ourselves through gritted teeth and through more determination. We need the power of the Holy Spirit and the grace of Jesus to identify which areas of our life need to die. The author C.S. Lewis wrote this, Until you have given up yourself to him, you will not have a real self. And the author, Watchman Nee, in the book The Normal Christian Life, writes this, which I found so challenging. God's means of delivering us from sin is not by making us stronger and stronger, but by making us weaker and weaker. That is surely rather a peculiar way of victory, you say, but it is the divine way. God sets us free from the dominion of sin, not by strengthening our old man, but by crucifying him. Not by helping him to do anything, but by removing him from the scene of action. So what does this look like? How do we deny ourselves? You see, I think we can often think of denying ourselves in terms of a grand, major decision. I'll move overseas. I'll quit my job. I'll put my life on hold to care for a sick family. And those grand and major decisions are important. But I think the reality of denying ourselves is through a multiplicity of small, daily decisions tiny course corrections where we say, I I won't take revenge. I'll accept that I'm going to be misunderstood. I'll forgive. I'll give up the right to be honoured and I'll choose to serve. I'll not complain. I'll honour God today with my money. I'll not take offence at being overlooked. I'll say sorry rather than fight my own corner. I'll choose today to fast and pray. I'll serve. And I think that's what being a dead man walking can look like Monday through Sunday. I'm sure for some of you, self-denial simply means making the commitment to prioritise being part of a church community week on week. 
rather than kind of giving in to those other compelling social commitments. I think there are two great and compelling dangers in our radical fellowship. Two things which compete. The first is that we would struggle to receive the lavish, unmerited, overwhelming, gracious mercy of Jesus. But love that kind of throws its arms open and says, come on home. And the other danger is to try and adopt a life that's merely life-enhancing rather than life-transforming, where we've got all the benefits of faith and none of the costs. No self-denial, no self-sacrifice, no dead man walking. And I think one of the things Jesus wants us to do this year is to learn to become dead men walking. I think it's time for the church to wake up from its coma and come off life support. We're going to respond today in very practical ways, very simple ways. We're going to weave our response into a time of communion. We're going to respond to God's call for us to become dead men walking, to deny ourselves, to take up our cross by taking communion. We've talked about what it means to deny ourselves. We've talked about how we can do it. But the question I've left unanswered so far is, why bother? Why deny? And the bottom line is this. Because we're loved by Jesus. That's why. So, so, so loved. You know, Paul said, Christ's love compels me. Our love for Jesus is the ultimate motivator. Knowing that we are profoundly, magnificently, extravagantly, unconditionally, deeply loved means giving ourselves to him makes all things possible. And of course that love is best shown through the cross. And communion is such a great way for us to remember and recognise that all that Jesus did on the cross, his body broken, his blood shed. So I'm going to invite you to come and take communion in a moment or two. And I want us to take communion today in a a different way to uh, what we've done maybe in the past. I'm just going to encourage you to come when you're ready, take bread, take juice, head back to to your seats. And then just take a moment on your own to ask the Holy Spirit to show you afresh the depth of Jesus' love for you. And how maybe you need to respond in a fresh way, a fresh demonstration of that willingness to deny yourself, to take up your cross. Maybe some of you will feel you'll need to kneel as you return to your seats and take communion. Do so. Kneeling is such a a lovely way of showing surrender. 
just as raising arms in worship can be a sign of surrender, so kneeling can be a sign of surrender too. So I'm going to invite the the band to come back. They'll play as we take communion. Um, Come as you're ready. Take bread, take juice. Head back to your seats. Take the bread and juice in your own time. I know we often wait together and take communion together. Today I just wanted to be a chance for you to respond personally and individually, to take the time to do business with Jesus. So allow me to pray and then you can come and take communion. Jesus was so aware of how much we need you. We're so aware of how great your call is on our life. And I pray you'd soften the bits of our heart which has become hard and help us to become willing once again to surrender to be those dead men walking. Amen. Hey everybody, so nice to see you, so glad you're here.